Genesis chapter 1. In the Westminster Sword of Catechism, numbers 8 and 9. That'll be on page 870, the back of the red hymnal. Genesis 1 is found on page 1 of your pew Bible. kind of bring us, bring our attention to the work of God in creation, I thought it would be appropriate for us to read this entire chapter. So the Genesis chapter 1, let's hear from God's holy word. He gives it to us for our good, inerrant and infallible. Please give your attention to its reading. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse, between the waters, to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land. And the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas. And let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. 
And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Amen. As far as the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Westminster Shorter Catechism numbers 8 and 9. Let's read the answers together. We've just spoken on God's decree, and now question number 8 asks a further question on God's decrees. Question 8. How doth God execute his decrees? God executeth his decrees in the works of creation and providence. What is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. I was standing in the kitchen this past week and our girls were listening to some songs and I think it's mostly our intention that when we put songs on that they would be Christian songs and somehow the the internet streaming whatever we were using for the songs had sort of flipped to just general children's songs and uh, a familiar tune comes on so I thought everything was okay But then I caught the words, and the words of the song went like this. We've got the whole world in our hands. And I'm thinking, no, this is not right. Um, Something is amiss here. And turns out they had sort of used the, the Christian song. He's got the whole world in his hands and sort of completely humanized it. So I'm sprinting over to the computer. Uh, so that my kids don't uh, get any uh, horrible uh, doctrine. And the first verse starts, uh, She's got the sun and the moon. And so the whole thing was just sort of humanized and, and brought to uh, a human experience, right? And it's, it's absurd to, to think we've got the whole world in our hands or any one of us would have the sun and the moon or 
the wind and the rain. It's, it's an absurd thought, but it is obviously very important that we live with the foundational conviction that God is the creator, that we are the creature, and from that there's a whole host of questions that are answered in light of that. That if God has created all things by the word of his power out of nothing, then many issues in our lives and many answers that we have in our lives flow forward from that. Here's our central idea tonight. To come to the simple yet central conviction that God is creator and we are creatures is one of the most transformational truths that you can know. To come to the simple yet central conviction that God is creator and I am the creature is one of the most transformational truths you can know. And we'll unpack that as we go through together. So as I said, this is a foundational truth. It's a a foundation of foundations. It's a standard of standards. Uh, In the beginning of the scriptures, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The entire Hebrew worldview uh, was centered around these truths, this very truth, Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim ve'et Haaretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is absolutely central, absolutely foundational. Almost any question that holds any significance for this life will be set on a, on a certain trajectory based on whether or not you wholeheartedly believe the words of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One of my favorite thinkers always puts things in four main categories, origin, meaning, morality, destiny. If you want to navigate your way through life and, and think about it, it's, it's, uh, uh, what your purpose is, why you are here, and how you approach questions of ultimate significance, those are the four things you kind of work out from, origin, meaning, morality, destiny. If you wholeheartedly believe Genesis 1-1, then the questions about origin are answered. God has created. And we don't know all of the fine details about what happened there, but we know that he did create. And he has given us a couple of of accounts of his creation. Meaning. Where is meaning found? Well, if we are created, we would obviously have to look to our creator to find meaning, that he would tell us the purposes for which we were created. And he does let us know that we were created for his glory. We were created to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. Questions about uh, morality. Who determines right and wrong? Well, the king of creation determines right and wrong. It's interesting, we live in in an age where Everyone wants a a moral world, a moralistic universe, and a moral society. Everyone wants morality, but no one wants a lawgiver. Everyone uh, has these basic assumptions that there is a right and a wrong, but we disagree about how to to come together on that and actually uh, find what is right and wrong. I heard this example used, and it, it stuck with me, that... Uh, many of the, the, the financial scandals of the past couple of decades uh, have been uh, 
have been led by uh, some of the most brilliant uh, financial and business minds in the world, uh, going all the way back to the early 2000s and some of the financial scandals that happened uh, with internet transactions and those kinds of things. And often we're hearing about insider trading and people making all kinds of extra money. And many of the people who pull those things off attended some of the most prestigious universities in our country, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, MIT, places like this. And these are the, these are the exact campuses where they have been teaching for decades that there is no objective standard for right and wrong. And then when people go out into the world and actually live that out, it's a bit ironic, isn't it, that we... Uh, are all of a sudden disappointed in them for living the way that they have been taught to live. So as creatures, if we believe Genesis 1 and even just Genesis 1 verse 1, we do everything that we do because our Creator has commanded it. He is the one with the authority to set the boundaries of morality. God does what he does, and he commands what he commands because he is good. Because he is good, all that he commands is good as well. Questions about destiny. Well, we know that God, as the one who has told us what is to happen, that his word is trustworthy and true, and thus, by faith, we live knowing that all that God has said about destiny will come to be realized in Christ. Origin, meaning, morality, destiny, some of the four most basic questions that you can ask and ultimate questions that you can ask, all of those things will be answered a certain way based on how we believe Genesis 1-1. Genesis chapter 1 is an account of real creation. It's an account of real creation. Maybe you have heard some people say, Uh, Chapter 1 of Genesis is poetry, and that is incorrect. It it doesn't bear any of the marks of Hebrew poetry. It is what we might call heightened or patterned prose. There's there's a pattern to it. There's many things that are being reiterated and repeated, but it's not poetry. It's patterned prose. There's some people who will say, well, it's, it's mythical language. It's not that either. This is history. It is not myth. It's patterned prose. It's not poetry. God has given us his word as that which is reliable and true. And thus, whatever we would say about Genesis chapter 1, we must say that it is reliable and true. And if we go further on in the scriptures, where they speak about the beginning of the Bible, it is spoken of as uh, an actual portrayal of all the things that happened at creation. For instance... When Jesus is asked a question about marriage, he alludes back to Genesis chapter 1 in Matthew 19. He said, Have you not read that he who created them, that is human beings, from the beginning made them male and female? A very clear uh, reference to Genesis 1 verse 28. Jesus takes Genesis 1 as history and as true and as reliable. Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments. So here we have the, uh, the, the divinely inspired interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 given within the context of the Ten Commandments in the, command, the fourth commandment about the Sabbath. It says this, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord 
blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So whatever we would say about the account of the beginning of the universe, the beginning of the world, it is true, it is reliable, it is divinely inspired. Uh, we say in the Catechism that God has created all things from nothing. And that's, uh, some of you may have heard of the phrase, creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. And that is an important truth to consider and to know. Genesis is the account of the beginning of all things except God. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit already existed and has existed from all eternity. So this is not the beginning of, of God's existence. This is the beginning of every single other thing besides God. The power and the beauty and the goodness of God were already existent. At the creation of the world, the power and the beauty and the goodness of God become visible to his creatures and to creation. If you go through many of the other creation myths that uh, were around at the time of the ancient Near East. Most of them were uh, some kind of a battle, some kind of a struggle, where there was a, uh, some kind of deity that represented chaos or just chaos itself, and there was some god who overcomes that chaos. Sometimes the universe would, would be birthed out of the carcass of a, of a slain god or a, a slain hero. And that's not what we have here in Genesis chapter 1. There is no, no cosmic battle here. God is not struggling uh, or battling against any other force. He is simply creating things out of nothing. He is creating things out of nothing, as we say in the Catechism, by the word of his power. All things from nothing by the word of his power. That's one of the constant refrains of Genesis chapter 1, that God creates by his voice. He speaks, and it happens. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all of their host. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Jesus' disciples were amazed when he calmed the sea by his words. And we ought to reflect upon the truth that by his words he created the seas and all that is in them. Verses 3, 6, 11, 14, 20, 22, 24, 26, 28, and 29 have the phrase, and God said. So there's that, that reiterating of that, that God is creating all of these things by the word of his power. There's obviously a Trinitarian flavor to creation. We have the Spirit hovering over the surface of the waters in verse 2. And Jesus is there in chapter 1 of Genesis, obviously. God the Son, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, we read further on in Scripture. We have Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We have John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Gospel of John is telling us that, that Jesus Christ, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is the agent of creation. Certainly the Father is there, His decree is being carried out, but Christ, in many ways, we think of as the agent of creation. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 confirms that for us. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is a Trinitarian event. And we'll read later on in Genesis 1, verse 28, let us make man in our own image. A Trinitarian decision there made by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So creates out of nothing by the word of his power. And then we read in the space of six days, in the space of six days. Obviously, there are all kinds of discussions uh, around this very topic, this very issue As we read Genesis chapter 1, what's kind of the time frame that we're working with? I believe that the the best way to take this chapter is that these are six literal days of creation. Six 24-hour days of creation. And I have several reasons why I believe that. The first is that we read about morning and evening on those six days of creation. There was evening and there was morning. Some people have taken these days to be ages, very long periods of time, and that's just not the way that these days uh, are presented to us in Genesis chapter 1. We also read uh, a numbering of the days. This is the first day. This is the second day. You go elsewhere in Scripture, anytime you have the days numbered like that, you're speaking about an actual literal day. The seven days of the week are given as our pattern for living. We read there in Exodus chapter 20, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and he rested on the seventh day. So that pattern that we see in Genesis chapter 1 that takes place, that becomes our pattern for living as well. What God did, you are to do. And then we read that from the fourth day on that uh, the heavenly bodies, the celestial bodies are given as signs for days and seasons and months and years. And so the way that they're functioning on days four through six, there's a sunrise, there's a sunset, and that is the way that our days are experienced. We're experiencing the changing of the seasons now, maybe a little bit too soon, a little bit too cool. I think we've got warmer weather coming this week. But that's what we experience, a number of days in a particular season, and then we start anticipating the next. And so what's presented to us is that this is an actual week. Uh, Many people raise the issue that uh, on days one through three, you don't have the sun and the moon, and so uh, how can you say that these are, are actual days? I think the best description or the best explanation or answer to that is that God was obviously, he had already created light, It's possible that the sun and the moon were already there. He just hadn't put them in their place. But uh, whatever we might say, God probably created a supernatural source of light to be sustained in those first few days. Genesis chapter 1 is God gives the world form first and then he fills it. So he creates the sky on day 1 and then in day 4 he fills the sky with the heavenly bodies, with the sun and the moon creates all things from nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good God is repeatedly looking at his creation and he says this is good 
This is good. The fall will bring uh, much disorder to many things, but we still are able to look at our world and read Genesis 1, and we see many of the things that God says are good, and when we look to our world, we can see still the power, the mind, the order of the Creator. What is it that is good in Genesis chapter 1? Well, the first thing is order. There's an order to this world. Uh, The cosmos is created by the will of its creator. It glorifies God. And this teaches about the character of God, doesn't it? He is not a God of confusion. He is a God of order. We think about things like the scientific method and experimentation All kinds of uh, discoveries that are made in the the realm of of science and medicine. You think about uh, the last seven months. All of the advances that have been made with people working probably around the clock trying to find uh, medicine, therapeutics for the COVID virus, working on a vaccine. People have been working uh, tirelessly for for all of those things. And why is that something that can be done? Because there's an order to this world. And this world is reliable. We can learn things because how God has fashioned his world and his universe is, uh, can be known in such a way that it is reliable. It's the only way that the scientific method works. We have to rest upon the laws of nature. So there's an order to this world that God has embedded within creation. Another thing that's good is the flow of time, the advance of time. We see days uh, follow one upon another, and that is a good thing. That is something that is just part of how God has intended for this life to be lived. We live our our life one day at a time, and if we live it in light of God, before the face of God, our desire is to use every day that we have to glorify Him. Another thing that is good is fruitfulness. This is an especially important emphasis in Genesis chapter 1. Let the earth bring forth vegetation, God says. In verse 22, God blesses the creatures within the seas. He says, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. There is this constant reminder that this world which is full of life is to be producing more life because life is good and the life that God gives is good. We obviously as, as human beings we live in a, a time in, within human history where human population is not refilling itself. We've, we've up to this point usually been growing as populations, but because uh, several parts of this world are now experiencing a dwindling of population, I think because we have lost this central sense that life is good and that God has intended for us to bring forth more life. Uh, even when, time, when there is great doubt and fear and anxiety about what's to come, life is a good thing. And as human beings in general, that's not to say every person uh, in, in specific, But in general, as human beings, we are to be working, 
to support life and to see more life brought forth. Another thing that is good is that human beings are given dominion over the earth as those who are endowed with the image of God. Human beings are given dominion. They are called to rule because God rules. You read in Genesis chapter 1, he is the king. He is the ruler of creation and he delegates an aspect of that dominion to the crown of his creation, man and woman. Genesis 1 verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. There you see the fruitfulness again. Then he says, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God has called us as his people, uh, as those who are created with, uh, with reason, with the ability uh, to, to think in the ways that we are, to exercise wisdom and exercise stewardship and dominion over God's creation. And it doesn't mean that we are to exploit this creation for whatever we want as human beings, but it does mean that God has given us the authority to exercise stewardship and to use the resources that he has given us because human life is very clearly the crown of God's creation. So we are to exercise uh, dominion in those ways. All of those are just examples of what we see in Genesis 1 as that which is good. God created all things from nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. What are the ways that we can look at this then and make some applications for our own lives? Well, the first is, is this, that we think about Christ and his involvement in creation. And what the New Testament is, is usually bringing to the fore when it mentions that Christ is the agent of creation is that uh, he is also the agent of redemption. And so creation and redemption have a, a close link in the New Testament. One of the things that we need to realize is that for those who know God in Jesus Christ, there has been a very similar miracle in you as what we saw in Genesis chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says he's going around, he's preaching the gospel. He, uh, there's an open declaration of the truth of God saving sinners in Jesus Christ. And uh, what happens when the gospel is preached is that God is speaking life into dead hearts. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, a very clear allusion to Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we are called to be those who worship and adore God for being creator. And we also are called to worship and adore God for being the recreator, for being the redeemer, for speaking life into spiritual deadness. Uh, where we would not have had life, God speaks. When the word of Christ is proclaimed, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Where God is pleased, he gives spiritual life to dead hearts. That's likened unto 
his power to create that we see in Genesis chapter 1. Other applications, and many of these are uh, from Puritan pastor uh, John Flavel. He, Flavel reminds us that as God has made all things, so nothing is hidden from him. The Psalm 94, understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? And so God is the creator, he's the Lord of life. And because of that, nothing is hidden from him. And we need to be aware of that and understand that we live life before the face of God. Secondly, this, that God is the rightful owner of us because he is the one who made us. We have a, uh, it's, called, I think it's called the first catechism that we, are, we go through as a family. One of the early questions is, why should you glorify God? And the answer starts, because he made me. Because he made me. What we are called, we have a responsibility to glorify God because he made us. And because he made us, it is his prerogative to do what he will with his creation. So when Paul is unfolding the mystery of of election, he alludes to this very principle that God is going to do what he is going to do. And, And many of us, many human beings or even Christians who hear about the doctrine of the election, the doctrine of election, they struggle with it. Paul's answer in Romans chapter 9 is that God is the authority to save who he wills because he is the king of all. Romans 9 verse 20, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? To make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So obviously, in that illustration of the potter and the clay, Paul is talking about God as creator. Next thing to keep in mind, since God has created all things from nothing by the word of his power, only he is to be worshipped. Only he is to be worshipped. Jeremiah chapter 10, beginning in verse 11 We read this. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain And he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. For his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Great folly to create idols of those who did not make the heavens and the earth. God says, I'm the creator. You are to worship me and no one else. Next, if God is the creator and he loves us as his people, then we should never fear the creature. There is no creature that we need to fear if the creator of all things has said he is for us and he loves us and he is working out his purposes 
in us. Isaiah 54, Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall, and you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Obviously, we, we need to understand these kinds of promises in light of eternity. God has swept us up into the age to come in Christ. He's given us eternal life, and his promise to us is that nothing uh, will, will get in the way of my bringing my people home to heaven forever. In Christ, we have that assurance, and we have that rest that our Savior is the, is the King of creation. Next, denying God's creation is to rebel against his word and against natural revelation and reason itself. Romans chapter 1 says that the invisible attributes of God can clearly be seen. We look around the world and what do we see? God is powerful. That there, there's, there is a, a being with a divine nature. Uh, can a world that is so intelligible, a world that is so understandable, can it be brought about without intelligence causing it? This is the... This is a great dilemma for those who would deny the existence of an all-powerful God. That our world is intelligible. And you can't get intelligibility in an effect without intelligence in the first cause. To deny that God has created is to rebel against natural revelation, against reason, and against God's word. And so as we close, then it becomes the height of of folly to rebel against your creator becomes the height of folly to rebel against our creator and that changes the way that we think about sin to think about that our natural disposition in our fallen nature the kinds of of sins we are drawn to and and just our constant stumbling uh, that we experience as fallen people it is the height of folly my, one of my close pastor friends said this to me a couple weeks ago, and I've kind of been chewing on it since. I figured this would be a good time to share it with you. Uh, he told me that you could fit one million earths inside our sun. You could fit one million of our earths inside of our sun. Isn't that stunning? And then there are stars in the universe that could fit 1,000 of our suns in them. So, a million earths inside the sun, a thousand suns inside some of the stars that we've been able to see, and there are many things out there that we uh, have not yet discovered. And when you think about just the magnitude of God, you know, we, we obviously reflect upon His holiness and His goodness, His majesty. When you just think about the universe that he has created, he's got the whole world in his hands, and he's got the whole universe in his hands. He's stretched out the heavens. And when you think that our natural disposition, outside of the work of the Holy Spirit, outside of God's grace, our natural disposition is to rebel against this God. To look at him and say, no, I think I'm going to live life my own way. I think I'm going to kind of figure it out for myself. I think I'm going to or disregard uh, your word and, 
and, and your truth. I'll do it on my own. Now, that's the natural disposition of the sinful heart of man. We, we realize how absurd it actually is to rebel against the God who created us and the God who made us. He is this powerful to create all things out of nothing by the word of his power. The space of six days and all very good. He has seen fit to, to save us in Christ. To give us a, an experience of that creation power by recreating. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts. If you know Jesus Christ, the God who is speaking in Genesis 1 has spoken and given you life. Because of that, we ought to understand that to rebel against this God is, is the height of folly. And so it ought to be our desire. We ought to go to God to say, uh, teach us to live in light of who you are. Renew us after the Holy Spirit. Thank you for saving me in Jesus Christ. Allow me to live for you as the King of creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. Uh, we give you all the, all the glory tonight and we ask that you would be with us in the coming week, uh, that you indeed would, would teach us to love you as the God who made us, as the God who is powerful, and, and the God who has uh, recreated and given life in your Son. We pray that your grace and your spirits would be shed abroad in our lives in many ways this week. In Christ's name, amen. Let's go to number 376, stand together and sing, O Christ, our hope, our heart's desire. <laughs>